This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 262, recorded Monday, April the 4th, 2016. Oh, April the 4th be with you. Oh, wait, that's not quite right. <laughs> not quite right, but I get what you were going for. Yeah. Next nice, month. Nicely done. Yep, next month. Uh, maybe someday we'll talk more about Star Wars on this podcast. Uh, in fact, I almost guarantee it. But, <laughs> but that's not what we are here to do today. Yeah. Here today... We are here <laughs> today. We are here to talk about the season six finale of The Walking Dead. The finale. Finally, the finale. Uh, we are, of course, going to recap it, read your holy craps, uh, and all that kind of stuff. But first, off the top here, there's a couple things I want to do. One of which is just to remind everyone about that giveaway we have going. I know we've talked about it a few times. But we're giving away The Art of Eating Through the Zombie Apocalypse, a cookbook and culinary survival guide. So if you want a chance to win that, head over to our website at talkingdeadpodcast.com slash artofeating, and uh, you can enter over there. It's a really, really cool, cool book with recipes and survival tips. So when the zombie apocalypse does come around, you'll know what to do and how to eat. Yes, and what kind of muffins to make. Exactly. These are things you need to know. And that you can make them out of, like, dandelions and other shrubs you find uh, in the forest floor. Dandelions you can eat. Yeah, I know that. Apparently, Don't try to eat stinging nettle, though. That would not go well. No. Or rattlesnakes that are still alive. <laughs> yeah, dead one's fine. Still alive, not so it good. Tastes like chicken, apparently. I don't know. I've never had rattlesnake. Uh, but thanks to everyone at Smart Pop Books for that. That's an imprint of Ben Bella Books. And uh, it's the art of eating through the zombie apocalypse. Okay, just before we get into the Season 6 finale recap here, Jason, I thought we'd take a quick look back at the ratings for the last two episodes. Oh, yeah. We haven't done that in a little while, and unfortunately the ratings are not out for Episode 16 yet, because I, I do think it would be fun to compare these two episodes to that one. Uh, but we'll do that on Wednesday, I hope. Um, so Episode number 14, which was called Twice as Far had 12.69 million viewers. A little down, to be honest, for The Walking Dead, but not mm -hmm. too down for Season 6. I haven't done the average, but we've been fluctuating sort of between 12 and 15 million, I think. Maybe not even quite 15 million. I would so, like to see that on a bar chart. You know, we've had a listener make uh, ratings charts for many of the previous seasons. Um, so if you're still listening out there, listener. <laughs> Jason's making a request for another chart. <laughs> I would like, I like charts. Pie charts are good. Pie is good. Pie charts are good. Um, so that was 12.69 for episode 14. Mm -hmm. Episode 15, which was called East, had 12.38 million. Oh, and even a little bit more. -er. And 12.38 was a season low. Wow. So uh, episode 15, right before the finale, a season low, 12.38 million. Maybe people were stocking up. They were like waiting, you know, uh, I, yeah, I missed that episode. I'm going to go and try and watch it. But you know what? I'll probably just catch it just before the finale and, and double up on the episodes. I guess so. Watch them back to back. Um, maybe. They could have been doing that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure there's all kinds of reasons 
for why they would be down a little bit from, you know, fans leaving the show to what else was on that night or just, you know, who knows what. But uh, and it, maybe saving it up for a back-to-back viewing. I didn't think of that, but that's a good reason too. Anyways, it was a season low, so I am very curious in a couple of days to see where the ratings for Last Day on Earth uh, fall and uh, see what happens. And then, frankly, after watching this episode, I'm going to be really interested to see where the ratings fall for season seven, episode one, even though that's (laughs) not like six months away still, right? I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to predict a $15.6 million, or million dollars, million people. Uh, watch the finale. 15.6? 15.6. All right. Write that down somewhere. Well, you do it. and uh, I don't have a pen. Neither do I. Uh, 15.6. <clears throat> we'll see. I'm going to say, I'll, if, if we're making predictions here, I will go and say a little over and say 16.1. Okay. I think there was a lot of anticipation for this episode, uh, and I think that would have will draw in a lot of viewers. You know, if you get the ratings exactly right, you win both showcases. <laughs> Man, that's amazing. <laughs> I've always wanted to win both showcases. That would that would be fancy. So 15.6 for you, 16.1 yep. for me. That's right. All right. Without going over. <laughs> you can't go over. Everyone knows that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's time for our, our recap, Jason, and you know what that means. I do. It's also time for our fantastic listeners to tell us what the title is even though i said it already but that was an accident here we go listen um what's the name of the episode coming up it's the last day on earth you idiot last day on earth oh gross monday i wouldn't love you if you were the last day on earth from WBEZ Chicago, it's This American Life. I'm your host, Ira Glass. This week on our show, people who live as if it's their last day on Earth. You know, it really got me thinking, what would we do, really, truly, if it was our last day on Earth? You know, some of us say that we would live life to its fullest. We would, you know, live life to the max. But how many of us? I mean, how many of us truly would do that? Sarah Koenig starts us off with a story, One Last Night in Boston. You know, this whole title read thing is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I would not read the title of the season finale if it was my last day on Earth. Wait, what? Oh, crap. Scarlett, what day is it today? Well, Ruby, we're kids and Carol is on the loose. So, for us, it's possibly the last day on Earth. Last day on Earth? Listen. Last day on Earth, you idiots. You idiots. Love it. Rick, Morgan, Glenn, Carol, Daryl, Carl, Judith, Maggie, (laughs) Michonne, Sasha, Abraham, Eugene, Rosita, Father Gabriel, Tara, Tobin, Enid, Heath, Spencer. For one, it will be their last day on Earth. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, everybody who sent in the title reads. Now, that was Chris in Fredericksburg, Virginia, Kyle in Newark, New Jersey, Mike on the Internet, Ira Glass in New York, Stuart in Kentucky, Scarlett and Ruby in the UK, Peng in Toronto, Jose on the Internet, and Bill in Pennsylvania. 
They were all fantastic. And that was a delight. Wasn't it? I, it was so good. And I just want to say that we got so many title reads this week, Jason. It's It was off the charts, and I apologize that I couldn't include them all. But what I tried to do was include ones from people who I hadn't played before. Right. So I think most of those people were first timers or or new anyways but uh thank you so much to everyone who sent them in and sorry again I couldn't play all of them otherwise we'd be here all night listening to title reads which you know would be fun for us but probably not what the majority of people want to do. Right. Well we have to spin off a new podcast just for title reads. We would and that would be really weird. <laughs> Would be a little weird. <laughs> People reading the titles of TV shows <laughs> for an hour. That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> People <not> reading. Great. <laughs> not great. Yeah. <laughs> People reading the first paragraph of famous books. You know. Yeah. In fact, you could you could build a whole quiz show around that. Read like the first sentence of a book and see if see if you can guess what it is. Oh, I was doing that. I was playing that game with my wife like a week ago i found it uh on reddit somewhere it was the the first uh the first sentence of 30 popular books hmm. and uh, I, I would read them to my wife and she would guess the book it was a fun uh, fun way to kill 15 20 minutes i'm actually kind of not surprised that someone thought of that already that's a good idea yeah, it's great. It's a fun, or, fun idea. You know what? You know what's also fun when you read the paper, but you get the with someone. You read a line, but you get the other person to guess the nouns. <laughs> All right. Well, we can try that sometime too. <laughs> a man was found in the bathroom with a hatchet. <laughs> exactly. See how much fun that is. <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's enough of that. Let's get into the recap. Thanks again, everyone, for the title reads. Here we go, Jason. It's a ninety-minute season finale recap coming right up. So we start, we fade up from black, and it is some kind of weird light effect that I didn't really understand at the time. This is not how what you see when you wake up in the morning? Uh, no, that's not what I see when I wake up in the morning. Oh. Uh, I also don't hear whistling, because you could hear whistling in this scene. Right. Uh, I wasn't sure what was going on, but we don't get too much of it here. We cut over to Morgan. He's in the forest, and or, or not really forest, but he's you know, out looking for Carol still, and he passes a sign that says, you are alive, and then he finds a horse. Yeah, so um, that makes sense. Well, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, who's the sign for? The sign is for living people, because uh, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but the dead don't read. I don't think so. Yeah, but they might. Yeah, no, I, I don't think they read. Um, the sign is for living people, you are alive, and then and he finds the horse that that, that dude from the other episode was had lost, right? Yes, that's exactly right. The guy in the armor. Uh, armor, yeah. And Morgan approaches the horse, and he tells the horse that he's alive. So everyone <laughs> is just making sure that they're alive. And Horses scene. don't read either, though. <laughs> no, not uh, unless you're an exceptional horse. Yeah, I mean, horses can count, but they can't read. And it's a good thing that horse found uh, Morgan, because otherwise that horse wouldn't know that he was alive or she was alive, because horses don't read. So uh, luckily, Morgan was there to interpret the sign for the horse, because, you know, horses speak English, but they don't read. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess it's the same as like a dog. They speak English, but they don't read. Well, it depends on the dog. I mean, some dogs speak, speak Spanish. Actually, like wait a minute. The, uh, yeah, like, the, like the dog in uh, Anchorman? The legend of Ron Burgundy. He yes, speaks, true. He speaks Spanish. Uh huh. And dogs who are raised in other countries would speak the native language of that country, I would imagine. Much like their children. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> this is weird. Um, 
so that's it for the Morgan and the horse bit for now. Um, we see the savior that Carol left alive on the road. Um, and he's walking through the field carrying her rosary. So mm-hmm. we've caught up with him now. And then we see somebody running through the forest with whistling sounds. And we know that's a savior thing. He's being chased by a group of guys. They catch him. And uh, some mustache-wearing dude says that his people betrayed them, so this is how it has to be, and they beat him up. Now, we kind of cut back and forth between a few scenes here, because we've got that scene. We've also got uh, some stuff going on back in Alexandria. So I'm going to treat these as individual little bits here, because it's too hard to jump back and forth. So we've got that first one of the guy being chased and then beat up. We've got Carl in the armory in Alexandria getting some weapons. Mm -hmm. And Enid comes in. She wants to go on this uh, mission that they're gearing up for, which turns out to be taking Maggie to the hilltop to get some treatment from the doctor, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, but Carl says, no, 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 you can't go. you got to stay here and you know protect this place. She's kind of not on board with that. So what does he do? He locks her in the closet. Well, it's, it's a classic story. Boy meets girl. Boy falls in love with girl. Boy locks girl in the closet so she can't go with him when he's on a dangerous mission. I'm not so sure that's how that story usually ends, but in this case, it did. <laughs> right. He uh, he locks her in the closet, and that's it. Um, now, outside, we've got a bunch of people getting ready to get into the RV to go to the hilltop. We've got Rick, Abe, Sasha, and Eugene. And uh, Rick kind of tries to discourage Eugene and then Aaron later from coming, but those two guys both manage to talk their way into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is the most important thing they've got to do at this moment. Yeah. Uh, mostly so that all the characters pretty much can be outside of Alexandria out in the wild. That's that's the way that's what I was thinking to be honest when I was watching this. Right. So it was a it was a plot discussion. It was a uh, you can't come with me. Of course I have to go with you. I'm part of the plot. That's right. I need to be out there. Yes. Um and I'm trying not to be too cynical about that whole thing but you know, having knowing in the last two episodes that all the characters have just immediately jumped up and run out for no reason. Well, maybe not no reason, but for dubious reasons, let's say. Um, now we have that happening again. We've got Aaron, who, in my mind, really has no reason to leave. We've got Eugene, maybe has slightly more reason. Um, but at the end of the day, they're all like, let me in, let me in. I want to go too. You know? I'm actually okay with this kind of thing because if I was in this situation, I would want to go. And uh, the way I look at it is uh, winners want the ball. Mm-hmm. When, or when you're out on, the, on playing hockey, I know there's not a ball in hockey. There's a, that thing called a puck. That thing? Which, uh, which uses, uh, it's, it's vulcanized rubber. I don't know if you know that. Anyway. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so winners want the ball. When the... Uh, when the chips are down, when there's only like three seconds left in the game and you need to score a basket on the goalie, uh, people want the ball to be able to make that last shot. Sure. They the want to be the hero. The, ball. the people that don't want to be the hero usually don't play the game. And they just kind of sit out sit out, and uh, uh, they definitely don't want to get involved because what if they fuck up? What if they screw up? They don't want everybody looking at them, that kind of thing. So winners want the ball. And I think our group of, of uh, intrepid heroes are all pretty much winners. And they, uh, they are they're heroes. And they mm-hmm. all want to get out there. They want to 
they want the ball. They want to do their part. They want to get on that bus and go out there and help make a difference, help save somebody. The problem is no one seems to realize, though, that they can be just as much help by staying back and defending their home. I mean, Father Gabe walks up and it turns out he's the man in charge of that. <laughs> well, right. I I think he, that's... Gabe's he, not a winner. No, I don't think he's a winner, but I also don't think he makes the most sense character-wise to be the guy to stay back. I, I don't, I'm not saying he should have gone either, because he's useless either way, in my opinion. Um, but he outlines this plan to Rick about the evacuation, the defense, all the things they've set up just in case. And then he says, my first priority is is Judith. Yeah. So, fine, he's going to stay back, and he's going to take care of the baby and this and that. Um, but... I just feel I, there's something about it that just all rubs me the wrong way a little bit. You have all these characters, the winners going out that I can be on board with. I think you make a good point there. Um, but even if you just <laughs> left Father Gabe out of the whole equation and made Aaron the guy who stays back, like Aaron, I feel like is the type of guy who could organize a defense of Alexandria. I, I think I disagree on that point as well. I think that uh, for heroic measures for heroes going out and doing uh, a hero's adventure, then uh, I think Aaron is part of that crew. Uh, To to hang back and to organize the defense of uh, Alexandria, I think you need a pragmatist. You need somebody who is uh, organized and is able to prioritize and is able to uh, come up with contingency plans. So I think what Gabriel was doing was saying that, you know, look, I'm a good project manager. Right, and I can get things organized when uh, when the shit is down. I don't have to do anything, but I have to be ready in case something happens. So uh, I've got all. I've got these are my priorities. These are the, the plans I have in place. Everything is set and ready to go. This is uh, this is what I've come up with. And he's presenting this to Rick to uh, to get his sign off on. Yes, that's a good plan. Uh, so Father Gabriel doesn't actually have to uh, to be the hero to organize the defense because all of that's done. It's planned. It's set. We've got all our uh, all our ducks in a row here. If anything happens, we've got contingencies to and a, and a fallback position. Everything is is good. You can go. I've got it handled. He just kind of has to execute the plan if necessary. Yes. Yeah. Well, what about a guy like Heath? Like. I think Heath, even though we don't know much about him, he was barely on the, well, I don't think he was on the show at all in the second half of the season, but Heath is probably the kind of guy that would go out again, you think? I would think so. Even though we don't know him too much. I'm um, happy with Father Gabriel organized the, organizing the defense of the city, the yeah. town, the village, the place. Yeah, I don't know. It's I'm not so sure we've seen enough of Father Gabriel to to understand that portion of his personality, right? Remember back in his church, he's the one who was a coward who locked everybody out. Like he couldn't handle that situation. And he's now- He's grown since then. Well, has he really? I mean, now, I mean, suddenly, and then he was the traitor. He was the one who spoke to Deanna about these people are bad. And now suddenly he's the babysitter in, in charge of defense. It, I'm not sure we've seen enough of Father Gabriel to get him to this point. Having said that, I mean, you're right. Who else are they going to use? And he's, he's probably the biggest, best candidate for the job. Just think of him. Think of him as Friar Tuck. Mm-hmm. He's the uh, he's the lovable priest that, uh, when the chips are down, will uh, bash you across the head with his uh, trusty staff. All right. Well, maybe he's got to that point. Uh, Spencer is also here though, and he's not going with them. 
Um, and Spencer says, you know, he well, he's going to stay back and he's going to help out. And he says that maybe if the saviors show up, he can make a deal with them. So he wants to negotiate still. But uh, Rick says, you know, if that happens, tell them to wait. I'll be back and I've got a deal for them. <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. I'll kick him right in the deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, that's that's everybody getting ready to go. It's a lot of people to go to take Maggie, in my opinion, but I guess they all want to be heroes. Um, Morgan, he's on his horse now, and he he's coming through some sort of little uh, civilized area, built-up area. It's a town of some kind, and he finds Carol cowering by a building and she's been injured. She's been hurt in the abdomen. It looks like, mm-hmm. um, it's back with the saviors gang. They drag that guy that they were beating up, uh, out onto the road and sort of form a blockade. And uh, mustache guy says they're going to make an example out of him. That's what they're going to do. And the dude on the road says, my people, everybody at the library is dead. So I was wondering who this guy is, where he's from, what's what he's doing, what's going on. But he is from some sort of small group community that was holed up in a library. And it turns out that's where Carol and Morgan are now. Oh. They are at the library. Um, after uh, that's the cold open, basically, at that point. So that's it. So we see this group of saviors blockading a road. You got to figure our heroes in the uh, RV are going to run into these guys at some point. Yeah. (laughs) Otherwise. It would be kind of stupid if they didn't. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. So opening credits, we come back and we're in the RV. We're driving. We have Aaron. He's watching Maggie. Rick comes in. And of course, Rick is saying things like, we're going to get you there safely. Everything will be okay. And he really displays a a really cocky attitude once again when he's talking to Maggie, I think here, similar to when he was in bed with Michonne last episode or the one before. Yeah. He says to Maggie, you know, everything we've done, we're, we've got there together. This has always worked out for us because it's always been all of us. And he says, as long as it stays all of us, we can do anything. Yeah. The next time my wife is sick. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give her that speech and see how it goes. <laughs> like This is the plan. You know, as long as we stick together, everything is going to be okay. We're, we can we can do this together. Uh, we're a strong team, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna make it after all. Yeah, and you guys aren't even hopefully going to be in a life threatening situation. You're just no, be in your I, house. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the next time she's uh, running a little fever, I'll uh, I'll give her the speech, and uh, everything will be fine. She'll be like, oh, thank you, Jason. That's been that's wonderful. You you're should. Good, you're a good husband. You should report back on on how that goes. Yeah. Um, but regardless of who Rick's talking to here, it just shows him being like, you know, he feels invincible at this point. You know, he's killed a lot of people. They've he thinks they've made Alexandria safe, and uh, and he he chalks it up to them all being together and all being a family, which is a good reason. Like to to do these sorts of things, you have to work together, right? Yep. Um, but you just. I think you always have to keep in the back of your mind that anything can happen and you can't just sit around and going, we can do anything, you know, we're not, we're not superheroes here, but yeah, I know it's, it's a shitty speech (laughs) (laughs) and it's just a shitty attitude. Like he needs to, he needs to figure things out. A better speech would be, uh, we got to get you to the doctor. We've got this RV full of people armed to the friggin' teeth. Nothing is going to stop us. Uh, we're going to shoot and kill anything that uh, that we see that we don't like. 
Yeah, well, we'll he'd get be, you there. He'd be lying if he said that. <laughs> Why? We're gonna shoot and kill at anything, any anything we see. There was Why very little be... shooting and killing in this episode. Well, no, but he doesn't. He, I don't think he'd be lying. He'd be proven wrong. But I think that would be a better speech. Oh yeah, instead it would of all the platitudes would. and uh, bullshit about we're a team or you know we're a group of people that are uh, have been working together for a long time and when we put our minds together we can do anything. It's like shut up and do something. What what's your plan? Yeah, it also doesn't. It feels like it doesn't really apply to the situation, right? We can do anything. I mean, yeah, we're trying to get somewhere, but speak to what they're going to do to get to achieve that specific goal might make a little more sense. Yeah. Uh so anyways, we get Morgan. He's treating Carol in the library now. And uh, as we know, she's been cut, it looks like, across the stomach or the abdomen. He says she needs stitches and medicine, so they got to go. And he says, I'm going to walk the area to make sure we're safe for the night, and then in the morning we'll go back. But, of course, Carol has no interest in going back. She she left. She doesn't want to go back, even though she's, she's hurt. Yeah. Uh, back with the RV... They come to the Savior's roadblock, so it didn't take too long. Now, they all get out and approach the bad guys. I mean, they don't in a, get... In a, in a clump. In a clump. They, I mean, they're not too close, but they all... I think pretty much everybody gets out of the RV. And Rick suggests that they make a deal. But uh, Mustache Guy says, sure, we can make a deal. The deal is give us all your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is a Savior's thing. Give us all your stuff. Now, Rick makes a crack about killing a lot of them, which he's done. He's feeling feeling very cocky. And uh, then one of the dudes with Mustache Guy sprays something on the body of the guy they have on the road. I wasn't quite sure what he was doing at this it was, point. It was an X. It was X marks the spot. I thought there was going to be a sniper of some kind or somebody with a pickaxe that would drive it into his X marks the spot chest. Yeah, but why draw the X? Why not just pickaxe the dude? I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. It's more dramatic. It's It's got a flair to it. We were drawing the yeah. sex on this guy. This guy's marked for death. And uh, you just watch. See, I was thinking more, maybe they're spraying something flammable on him and they're going to light him on fire to uh, make a make it a point, you know? Well, uh, yeah, I, I just figured it was spray paint. Yeah, no, I don't know. I thought... Which, which is flammable. Well, uh, true. But I, I didn't know. I was like, what are they doing? Why are they spraying him? We don't really see what they spray on him either because it's from a distance. Sure looked like an X. Well, I, okay. I thought it was an X. You see it later, I know, but I didn't really pick up on that at the moment. But I was like, my God. It, plus, in the scene before, mustache guy says, we're going to make an example of you. So I thought, well, they're going to light him on fire. That's a pretty bad example or good example, yeah. depending on Maybe what you're that's what the X was for, for example. Eggs, eggs. We're gonna make an example of you. Example, right? <laughs> so, anyways, they do that. Now, Rick and the gang are like, "Well, forget this." They get back in the RV, and as they're going up the stairs, Rick asks Mustache Man if he wants to make today his last day on Earth. And the guy turns it around on Rick and says, "You know, maybe this will be your last day on Earth." <laughs> no, <laughs> you do it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, so Rick gets in the RV and they drive away. So no gunfire or fighting this time. Not yet. No rocket launchers this time either. Yeah, they friggin' Daryl. <laughs> I guess they did. They run out of rockets for it. I assume so. We haven't seen the rocket launcher. It got used twice. One to blow up a motorcycle gang and another one to start a fire. So uh, that's it. Rockets over. Rockets are done. Yeah. 
Uh, we take a commercial break, and when we come back, we start with more weird lights. This time there are some faint voices you can hear, although it's hard to hear what's being said. Um, after a few seconds of that, we go into the RV, and they're discussing an alternate route because they can't go that way, of course. It's blocked by a gang of, uh, well, blocked by Mustache Man and his gang. So I have a question. Sure. Do we have any reason to believe that uh, the Saviors gang know where they're trying to go? Uh, as in know that they're trying to go to the hilltop? That's right. It sure seems like they did as this episode plays out, but I'm not so sure how they would. So it's, there, there, there's two possibilities uh, that what, what the Saviors are doing. One is they're trying to block their entrance into or block their way to um, Hilltop. Mm -hmm. The other one is that they're trying to block all the exits from um, their town. Right. So no matter where they go, they, yeah. they run into them. So it's easier to block all the all the ways to get to hill, the hilltop because you know you have point A and point B and you can there's only so many roads that go there or so many paths that get there. Yeah. Uh, so that would be fairly straightforward. Blocking back blocking all of the exits from Alexandria all the ways out uh, might be a little more challenging, but still doable. You'd you'd probably think though in that case they do it tighter into the town so there are less avenues yeah. for them to take, right? So they sure seem like they know where they're going. Yeah, so the question is, if so, how do they know that? And I'm not sure we have the answer to that question or not. Well, we wouldn't because uh, nobody that, like, even if we had, even if somebody that the Saviors had captive, n nobody, none of them know that Maggie's sick. Right. And they made a point of saying that in this episode even. Like, Daryl left, oh, wait. No, they made a point of saying that they, Daryl left before Carol, he knew Carol was gone. Yeah. So, uh, Glenn is out, uh, Rosita is out, Daryl is out, Carol is out. They, yeah, none of them know that, that, uh, Maggie is sick. So they, the only way for them to know that they're trying to get to the hilltop because Maggie's sick is to have an inside mat. A mole. A mole. Mole, mole, mole. Huh. Yeah. So that's that's all I'm I'm thinking. We have no reason to believe that they do know that they're going they're trying to get to the hilltop to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm thinking that all they're really trying to do is block all of the exits of Alexandria. Well, the other thing though is well, you know what? We'll talk about that when we talk about some more of the blockades, because okay. there's there's a few of them as we go on here. Um but I've got another idea which we'll get to. Uh, uh Carol and Morgan, we go back to now, and uh, he's telling her about how Rick came to look for her as well, and so would everyone else had they known. Oh, yeah, this is the scene, right, where he says they all left before they knew you were gone. Yeah. Um, Morgan says everybody cares about her, but Carol just reiterates her point that she can't be around them because she'd have to protect them and kill for them, and that's what she can't deal with anymore. Um, but Morgan says he can't just let her die out here, and he won't leave her. And at this point, Carol points a gun at him and tells him to leave, but very quickly lowers it because I think even Carol realized that this doesn't make any sense. I just finished telling him that I can't kill people and I'm going to point a gun at him, right? threatening him to leave. So, Well, that's her default position. Eh? When, uh, when challenged with something, kill it or point a gun at it. Right. And 
um, neither of those options work for her anymore. And I think you could see that realization on her face, right? Yeah. So that was pretty. That was a pretty good scene, I thought. Uh, back with the RV, though, um, they're driving, and Abe and Sasha are sitting up front. And he asks her whether she could do something as big as what Glenn and Maggie have done. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is—he's a fast mover. Yeah, you want a baby make with me? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, <laughs> she gives him a funny look, uh, but then he says he could do it now that he has her. And uh, that softens her up a little bit, it seemed like. Aw. Isn't that nice? You're a sweet little moron. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um, so they come around to Ben in the road. And, oh, look, another blockade of saviors. Now, this time, Carl wants to fight them. But Rick says, no, they're ready. And there's too many of them. So we can't just hop out and start shooting. It'll be a massacre on the wrong side. And uh, this time, though, they don't get out of the RV and they just back away. That's yeah. it. They're going to lose the RV. As soon as I saw that, I was like, uh, I was thinking, you know what? That RV is slow and they can just follow you. They obviously know where you're going uh, generally, which means they're probably following you. And that RV is big and dumb and slow and you got to get rid of it. Yeah, but they've got too many people and a sick pregnant woman. They need the space. You know, uh, two people and a truck would have worked just fine. Minivan, that'd have been okay. Mm-hmm. Car, sure. With a big back seat. With a, Well, yeah, with a big back seat. Or a third row. <laughs> or, you know, throw Maggie in the trunk. She'll be fine. That's right. This is the zombie apocalypse, after all. You cannot expect that much comfort. Yeah, you put some blankets and pillows down in the trunk, that'd be quite a comfy place to take a road trip. I'd yeah. be okay with that. I've been in the trunk of a car. It's not that bad. How did I... How could I not have guessed that? <laughs> well, when you have, uh, when you fit twenty six people into a uh, into a car, uh, you have to put some people in the trunk. You were a clown. Well, yeah, well, this was before I was a clown, but we had somebody on the left hand side of the driver. That's a crowded car. Oh yeah, was the car? Were you? Was the car in motion? Oh, yeah, we went someplace. It was Bonneville. I think we went through McDonald's drive-thru even with that many people in the car. That was fun. It sounds ridiculous. <laughs> yes, but I'm just, I'm saying that the trunk of the car can be a comfy place to spend a couple of hours. Okay. Um, I suppose they could have done that, but you're right. The RV is a big, conspicuous vehicle. The thing is, the saviors that were blocking these roads, they seemed way, way more organized than just were following them around and were setting up roadblocks. Like, they... They looked at the land, they looked at the roads, and were like, these are all the places they're going to try to get through, so we're going to stop here and, and block their way. Not, or not, they, only, not only that, sorry, but, you know, it wasn't just vehicles and people blockading sometimes. We come up to, to one soon, and it's a giant, giant pile of lumber. Wood. Yeah, that was a big pile. That was a big pile of logs. It was. So you can't just do that you know, at the drop of a hat. You got to plan ahead for that kind of thing. Yeah, you need at least a couple of guys and some trees. You definitely need the trees. And, and about some, a year. <laughs> and some big lifters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, they probably have some logging equipment that they can use to, like, that's a big pile of wood. Like, why would, you know, four logs would have worked. It's a friggin' RV, not a tank. Yeah. It's not going to just fly all over some logs, but, you know, a big two-story tall pile of logs seems a little excessive. Well, so I'm thinking that that pile of logs was already there. Okay, well, let's we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Um but the point is the the saviors seem to be pretty 
well organized, at least what they're doing here. Yeah. So we come back from a commercial and we're back with Morgan. He's checking the area around the library, I guess. And he finds a guy who was hung or maybe hung himself from an antenna tower and died, of course, and then became a walker up there. So that dude's been hanging there for, well, maybe not that long. You never know. But either way, it's a, it's a zombie hanging. And we see some other walkers behind a gate, but I guess Morgan figures they're contained for now. So he climbs up and he stabs the walker in the head, then cuts him down and just lets his body fall to the ground. So the thing that surprised me most about this was they uh, they let an actor like Lenny James climb this tower without a rope. And I think that's amazing. Well, are you worried about him like getting hurt? I am worried about him getting hurt. I mean, you actors... generally don't let actors do stuff like that unless, of course, it's Tom Cruise and he is he basically is producing the movie from his production company because then he has complete control. Well, he hangs off but... the side of planes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're Lenny James, you know, and you want him to climb a climb a tower, everybody's going to be going like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's Lenny James. You can't hurt him. I don't know. Like... A lot of people do their own stunts these days. No, not really. Well, maybe it was a fake tower and he was only like three feet off the ground. Even three feet is a long way to fall for Lenny James. What? Come on. It would be a, it would be a long way to fall for me. If I fell three feet, it would hurt. You're not Lenny James. I bet he could fall three feet. Okay. Lenny James could probably fall th- three feet, but I couldn't fall three feet. Well, but then he, again, I would never be in a situation where there would be cameras around me and I had to climb a tower. No, but <laughs> you might fall <laughs> off your couch one day. You never know. <laughs> because I got a three foot couch. <laughs> Well, what, it's a foot and a half at least, probably, two feet? Yeah, well, I can fall off twice. There you go. <laughs> You'll be fine. Uh, Lenny James, I mean Morgan, <laughs> he, uh, he, he climbs down, I guess. We see him re-enter the library, and of course, Carol is gone. He goes outside, looks around, gets on his horse, and rides away down the street looking for her. The days, they didn't, okay, how long has it been that he was in the library with Carol? Um... Well, he said earlier that they're going to spend the night there. I don't think it hasn't, the night hasn't come yet. Okay. Because he left that horse saddled and he found that horse saddled. That's just mean. Like, for crying out loud, take the saddle off the horse. Well, maybe, but I, he's, I don't, I don't, I really don't think he was planning on being there that long. Even overnight. Can't you leave a saddle on a horse overnight? You could, but that's mean. I don't know. The horses don't like it. Well, it's just to leave a horse saddled i think is is not the uh, the best thing for the to, for the horse's enjoyment but when you need to make a quick getaway i think the horse doesn't maybe isn't the biggest priority the horse's uh state of mind might not be the biggest priority at that moment right okay i was just i my my assumption and granted i've never uh owned a horse and i've only ridden a horse maybe twice yeah me maybe, twice in maybe my life. uh so but from everything i've seen on tv what you in movies? What you do with a horse when you're done riding it is you take the saddle off the horse, of course, and then maybe brush it down and stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. And for some reason, because they like that, actually, that probably would feel rather nice. I bet it would be like a massage uh, for the horse. So, you know, I just I think it's mean. First of all, the horse. I can understand the horse being saddled when it ran off and lost uh, the guy in the armor. And, you know, he's wandering around the woods going, shit, now how the hell am I going to get this saddle off me? If only somebody could show up who knew how to read uh, and would ride me for a little while and then take this damn saddle off. And he's like, yeah, okay, we're going to ride a little while. Oh, we're stopping. Now we get that damn saddle off my back. It's been on there for three days. Oh, man, he just went in the house. <laughs> what about the saddle? Dude. <laughs> Come on. 
I've had this thing on my back for three days. Yeah, so I just think it's pure meanness that uh, he left the horse saddled while he went inside to get ready to spend the night. Fine. Well, the uh, the horse wrangler or the horse advisor that's working on the show dropped the ball on that one, I guess. Well, he need, he did need to get a... I'm sure the horse, the actor horse, <laughs> not the character horse, but the actor horse... <laughs> oh, sorry. ...is fine, right? Because uh-huh. they have uh, animal handlers on uh, on set that are taking care of the horse and making it only look like it's, uh, you know, a little bit unkempt. Yeah. But uh, I'm sure the the actor horse is fine. It's just, it's the character horse that I'm worried about. And they didn't let that horse climb an antenna tower. No, they would never do that. That's crazy. It's far too dangerous. But horses fall down. They have trick horses that even do somersaults. I've seen horses accidentally fall down, like on riding competitions and stuff. It doesn't make me happy. I feel bad for the horse. I feel bad for the horse, too. Anyhow, um... Morgan gets back on his horse, and he rides away down the street. <laughs> That's how that story ends. <laughs> That's why he's saddled. Yeah, so he can do that. Um, back with the RV, though, they're talking, they're driving, talking about how they have half a tank of gas left. And Abe realizes at this point that the saviors have numbers. It's just it suddenly comes to him as like, you know what? If these guys are all over the roads, there's a lot of them, and we may be in a bit of trouble here. Yeah. They've also got radios. They probably have people at strategic uh, road crossings Yep, radioing in where they are at any given second. Well, they must. I mean, they, they are just so well coordinated. Now, um, this time they come to another roadblock, but this is not a roadblock of saviors, possibly former saviors. But what it is, it's a bunch of zombies who are chained together across the road. Um, now, they stop the RV, they get out. With their guns raised, of course, because they need to do something about this, and uh, they look at these zombies and realize that one of them have one of them has some of Michonne's hair stuck to it, uh-huh. and another one has a couple of Daryl's bolts stuck in its chest. So this is a warning of some kind. This is the saviors saying, "We have your people, and you know, here's a little piece of each of them. So get ready for some unpleasantness." Yeah. Um. Just as they're about to start chopping down the zombies to clear them away, uh, people start shooting from the woods and from the sides. Everybody fires back. Uh, it's all very chaotic. Rick separates the zombie chain, kills a couple of them. Everyone jumps back in the RV and they drive away down the road the same direction they were going. Awesome. And nobody got hit with any bullets. Well, that's because, well, Rick said it, but I noticed it before Rick said it that... They were obviously shooting at their feet and not trying to hit them. Right. The other thing that bothered me a little bit about this uh, this scene, that didn't bother me, the shooting at the feet thing, because they explained it virtually in the next scene after the commercial. But the other thing is they come upon these zombies that are chained together, and it's just one single file row of zombies. I think they could have rammed through them without stopping. Well, they needed to check it out. No, they did not need to check it out. They needed to not check it out because they should have realized this is not normal. This is dangerous. This is obviously meant for to, to impede our progress a little bit. Why not put the pedal down and just slam through them? I know Rick said we can't risk losing the RV, but it's a risk you might have to take, I think. The, the zombies are not a problem. Like, they could plow that down the zombies and just go on their merry way. It's the chain that's the problem. Because if that chain is anchored really well and it's a good chain, that's going to rip a big chunk out of the RV at least or Mm. stop it dead at worst. 
maybe, maybe. I don't know. I think it's a, a risk you have to take, though, because, I mean, you stop and you get out, you're sitting duck, as we as we saw. If they'd wanted to shoot them, they could have shot, they could have killed them all in that scene right there. Yep. Right? They had the upper hand. They were kind of in a little mini valley, so everyone had higher ground who was on the edges. Oh, it was a classic ambush. Classic ambush. And it was a 100% successful ambush had they wanted to kill them, but they didn't want to kill them, so they didn't. Yeah. And I've noticed in movies just in general that uh, when uh, people are being shot at and uh, the people that are shooting are missing, that they hit right near their feet, that's complete crap. It's when you shoot at somebody and miss, it hits behind them somewhere a hundred yards downrange. Uh, it does not kick up dirt at their feet. Well, uh, so there's no way to aim specifically at the ground around them. Well, you can aim, but that's where you got to be aiming. If you're aiming at someone and legitimately miss, you don't hit the ground at their feet. Oh yeah, you no. hit you hit beyond them at a hundred yards down downrange on something. Yeah, yeah, of course that makes you, sense. But in this tree, case, horse, cow, whatever happens building. to be down there, yeah, yeah, exactly. But but in this case, they're higher, so they're already shooting sort of down at them, and they're intentionally hitting the ground. So I think it actually makes sense here that you'd see the bullets pinging off the road here. Yeah, okay, that, I, I'll give you that. I thought I, I didn't think that they were being shot at. I thought that they were being encouraged to move along. Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess they were they were basically trying to put them in a chaotic situation with chained zombies and people shooting from the sides uh, and hopefully induce some panic, which they pretty much did. But everyone gets out safely and they drive down the road. Hooray. When we come back, we're still with the RV. Um, it uh, does seem to be damaged because it's making some funny noises now. And this is where Rick realizes they were shooting at their feet and not trying to kill them. Um, so they decide that they need to take another route. So they start talking about that. And, uh, Aaron comes in and says, Maggie's in really bad shape. So things are getting worse for everybody. They can't get where they're going and their sick pregnant lady is in rough shape. Have they identified any, like what could possibly be wrong with Maggie? Has she got the flu? That's what well, we know. No. She doubled over in pain mm-hmm. and she seems a little sweaty. Yep. And she screamed quite a bit. It was pretty intense pain, it seemed like. Um, I think the assumption is there's something going on with the baby, and that's why they're trying to get to the doctor. If if they were able to determine that this is not a baby-related problem, maybe this is just she's sick, you know, whatever, they might not have jumped in the RV and hit the road quite so quickly. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe she ate something bad, like chili peppers or... Maybe. I'm not sure that induces that kind of pain, but I've never been pregnant, so I don't know. I've eaten chili peppers. It's not pleasant. (laughs) It used to be pleasant for me, but I'm at an age now where I've got to stop eating spicy food because every time I do, yeah, there's some unpleasantness. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so they, they come to another roadblock. This time, though, it's a huge roadblock with dozens of men. Two stacks of guys. Yeah, two stacks of people. They're stacked too high. <laughs> That's a lot of guys. Yeah. Uh, they just stop and Rick says, go back. So again, they don't even get out of their car or their vehicle. Morgan, back with him. He's riding his horse. He finds Carol's rosary on the ground. So that's a lucky find. He knows he's on the right path, I guess. Um, and then continues on his way. We cut to Carol. She's on her own, and she passes a large dumpster that has a zombie inside. She closes the 
it's one of those door swing open dumpsters. Mm-hmm. She closes the door to lock him in there. Um, but just then another one sneaks up on her from around the corner. Those sneaky bastards. Yeah. And she, she fights it off just barely. There's an amazing like head, like skin ripping scene as she pulls all the skin off the zombie's head. Um, and then she deals with the zombie, but immediately gets attacked by the savior guy who was, who was following her. Uh. So things are just not going well for Carol here. Uh, he punches her, throws her down. He manages, manages to get up with the gun and he says that he's going to enjoy watching her die slowly. And then he shoots her in the arm. So Carol is down. She's incapacitated. Um, One other thing I want to bring up about this scene is the zombie whose face she ripped off was played by two people. Two people. (laughs) Identical twins. um, The Harp twins. I don't know if you know them. Oh, I know the Harp twins. Do you remember the Harp twins? I remember the Harp twins. Were they there at Walker Stalker Con in Atlanta when you and I went together? I feel like. I don't remember if they were at that one, I but I know so. they were. Okay, well, they were at um, they were at many other Walker Stalkers that I've been to, and uh, I chatted with them about their harps one day. I'm so stupid. I asked them, "Are they heavy?" <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, they're very nice and uh, amazing harp players. Uh, if you haven't checked out their music, you should go look up the Harp Twins. Uh, but anyways, they played that zombie, both of them apparently. Cool at different so. times. I guess like so. They're not really, really skinny, and they could fit into one costume. Uh, no, I weird. guess not. But uh, different, different shots of the zombie were were uh, different. Like they do with twins. babies on television shows. That's right. They hire twins, twin. and that way, if one's crying, you can use the other one. Swap out the other one. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. One of the harp twins starts to cry. They just bring in the other one. Yeah, exactly. They should That's do that with all works. actors. Only hire twins for television <laughs> shows in case they get ornery. Yeah, that's right. Go to your dressing room. We'll use the other twin. Yep, bring in the other one. Uh, all right, so Carol's down. She's got been shot in the arm. We come back from a commercial. Hey, and we're back to the funny lights and voices now. Um, this time, this is the one where I realized that those look like bullet holes through something. Yeah. So somebody's inside something, um, and they're looking out through through bullet holes. Uh, back with the RV gang, uh, Rick is again reassuring Maggie that they'll make it there safely. Now, he's not quite as cocky this time, I didn't get the feeling, but Maggie says that she believes in Rick, that he'll get her there safely. Yeah. So she's got, you know, she's drinking the Kool-Aid, that, Rick's Kool-Aid. That I do say to my wife when she says, I don't feel like going to work. It's like, I believe in you, honey. I think you can do it. You know? <laughs> That's not as... Uh... Not as arrogant, I think. No. <laughs> Not as prickish. It's a little <laughs> condescending, but it's okay. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, that's that's a quick scene. We go back with Carol. She's suffering on the ground. She kind of starts laughing, and she says that she's going to die so that there's nothing wrong with me anymore. Right? This is it for her, she thinks. The savior gets pissed off, shoots her in the leg. So now she's been shot in the arm and the leg. Ouch. She's not going anywhere. Um, and when asked about it, she says to the savior guy that I probably still haven't suffered enough. So she really, really is being hard on herself here, Mm -hmm. right? Like she expects to suffer for what she's done. Um, Mr. Savior starts to walk away, but 
you know, she's talking to him. He, uh, he turns around, comes back and he's just prepared to kill her with the gun. But Morgan appears with the gun he has pointed right at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells him to stop. Morgan does. And he says to drop the gun. Uh, Mr. Savior says no, goes to shoot Carol. And Morgan basically seems like it emptied the clip into the guy killing him. So Morgan has killed somebody with a firearm. In defense of one of his friends. Yeah. So you're, He's you're, doing what Carol said she no longer could do and what Morgan has basically said all along that he couldn't do. Maybe well, uh, murderous homicidal rage is a demon that passes from one person to another. And because Carol... Uh, has been exercised of this demon that it needs to go into somebody else. So now Morgan is the one that's going to be killing all the little girls in the show for a while. Well, she's passed on the the killing demon to him, I guess. Um, But it is, I didn't, like, I kind of liked actually all this Carol and Morgan stuff. Um, It felt like the two of them were finally given their chance to to shine a little bit and really sort of outline their positions on this thing. And their positions were tested, right? Morgan was there. His friend was in danger. His friend was about to be murdered and he stepped up and did what he had to do to protect her. Yes. Which for Morgan is, is a big deal. Um, he comes over and, uh, Carol says to him, look, you should have just let me go. It's my time. And he said, no, it's not your time. We're going to get you. You're going to be okay. Um, and then just as they're, they're saying this, um, couple of, uh, couple of dudes wearing armor show up yeah, with another horse. And I guess it's the same guy from before, is yes, it? Yes, I would assume so. I, d- yeah. I don't know definitively, but, uh, I assumed it was uh, the same guy. This, this is very medieval. It's cool. I think they, these guys look really awesome, but Morgan, doesn't Morgan say, I found your horse and I found my friend. So it is the same dude. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and they shake hands and Morgan says, my friend needs some help. And the guy says, well, let's get her some help. Yeah. So these people are friendly. I, well, from all indications anyways. They're, uh, they're knights of the round table. Uh, they're knights of something. This is, I think it's, uh, Tristan and Galahad. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I don't know. We will find out. Um, but that's good. I mean, the presumption here is that they're going to help Morgan and Carol get somewhere, patch her up, and she's going to be okay. Uh, I was sort of half expecting this to be Carol's last episode, her death episode. Um, it might still be. Uh, it's not. Okay, well, <laughs> we're not, the episode's Spoiler not alert. over yet in, in terms of this, but I thought maybe this would be it for her, and turns out, turns out it's not, though. And... It turns out it's introduced these other people, whether they're from a bigger group or whatnot, we don't know, but they're, they've piqued my interest with that armor and just the way they've, they're willing to help. It seems like they're, uh, I, I want to know more about them. I do too. I'm hoping we find one with a, uh, a trident and a net because <laughs> nobody uses that kind of weapon anymore. No, no, they don't. Trident, a good old trident. Good old trident and net. Yeah. Uh, back to the RV, they've come to a massive roadblock of logs. We talked about this earlier. Uh, Eugene. Now see, Eugene realizes in this scene that they must have had big machines to stack them up like this. And there's tracks Tracks, across the road. So they've got some machinery. Um, as they're looking at it, the dude who they spray painted earlier suddenly comes 
off the bridge behind them and he's been hung by his neck. So he's, that's it for him. Uh, he wants, or he's, he's going to die. Aaron wants to shoot him down, but Rick says, no, that won't work. Plus we need the bullets. He fell more than eight feet. His neck is broken. He would have died almost instantly. And probably wouldn't have been making sounds like he was. Yeah. Uh, wiggling around and choking and stuff. Like when, like when they hang people as a form of execution, they have them drop six to eight feet because that's far enough that uh, you're going to snap their neck and they're going to die pretty damn quick. They're not going to choke to death. God, that sounds terrible when you describe it like that. Yeah, it is. It is terrible. It's a horrible way to. No, nah, not that I needed the description for it to sound terrible, but. Yeah. So I just uh, I think he would have died a lot quicker or his head would have come clean off. One or the other. Because everybody other, has yeah. soft, soft heads. And I assume soft vertebrae, but so super strong necks, <laughs> super strong necks. Yeah. Um. So though they're standing around looking at this, and suddenly the wood pile lights on fire for some reason. Them. Yeah, for some reason. <laughs> and we hear Mustache Man's voice saying that they better go because you know it's a big fire, and this might be your last day on Earth. It's going to be warm, so you better get out of there. Yeah, you better move. They all hop back in the RV and uh, they turn it around again. They're, they've got to be running out of roads soon. Why would they burn that perfectly good pile of logs just to make the RV move? Like, what are they going to do? What's their other choice? Well, maybe they wanted to get rid of that blockade anyways, so they're like, let's burn it down. It, it just it didn't make any sense, burning that big pile of logs. No, I, was, I wasn't quite sure either. It did seem a little strange. I was like, when they're standing there and they're all looking at the guy hanging, which is the other way. And then we see the the fire start in the background. I'm like, what? What's, what's going on? Why, why is that on fire all of a sudden? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it didn't seem to make too much sense. Anyways, they're in the RV. They're on a, they're on a dirt road. And, uh, Sasha, she says there are two more routes they can take. Um, but Eugene comes up with a different plan. He realizes that they're looking for an RV, but they don't, necessarily know who's in the RV. So the plan he is suggesting is that uh, he'll drive the RV around to distract them. Everyone else can walk through the forest. And uh, before they go their separate ways, though, he gives Rick the instructions for building bullets, you know, in case Rick's going to need those or or Eugene doesn't make it. Uh, Rick thanks him for that and says goodbye. And then Abe comes up and they have a real heart-to-heart moment, and Abe says, you know, I was wrong about you all this time. You are a survivor, and you always were. And they have a well, big, solid man hug here. Yeah, that's redundant. The hug? I mean, no, the survivor. You're you're a survivor and always were. Like, of course you are. Well, you're still alive, you son of a bitch. Yeah, but you know what he was saying. Yes, I do. Right. So I thought it was a really nice touching scene between those two guys. Um, and... Again, just with the, the, the goodbyes and the music that was playing, I'm like, well, Eugene's dead. <laughs> I think so. I, I thought... Well, it was a, it was a very touching uh, goodbye moment, which assumed that Eugene was going to die. It kind of and did. This just was a, a self-sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. But he's done that before, right? What? The time he bit a dick. <laughs> yeah, I never thought he was going to die when he did that, though. Well, no, before he 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 bit down, I thought maybe he was going to die. Oh, but yeah. uh, after as soon as he turned and went bitey, uh, I thought that he would be fine. The other guy, on the other hand, probably is in a world of hurt for a while. Yeah. But Eugene, I thought I knew would be okay. Yeah, Dwight's still around. Um, 
yeah, this just felt to me like, you know, they're saying goodbye. And I should have, I should have second guessed and thought, well, they're making it seem like he's on his way out so much. He probably won't be. Um, but it did feel like this might be, this might be it. This is going to be his sacrifice moment. He's going to go off. He's going to be a hero. He's going to distract. He's going to successfully distract the saviors so that they can get Maggie through the woods into the hilltop. Um, but what happens is they, they take Maggie on a stretcher. Even she thanks, you know, Eugene as they're going by. So, you know, I, that, that even built it up even more for me. Um, they walk into a dark forest because it's nighttime now and, uh, Eugene drives away. So commercial break, we come back. The group is traveling through the forest there. They encounter a zombie with a large branch stuck through his chest. And Carl just cuts its head off, which was pretty cool, I thought. Um, They're walking along. Carl's talking about not letting anybody die anymore (laughs) because, you know, that hasn't been his attitude the whole time, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And suddenly they hear some whistling and it it just sounds like the whole woods around them is whistling. Yeah. A lot of whistling going on. They try to run, which is tough when you're carrying a stretcher, I'm sure. But they end up surrounded by very many vehicles and a lot of people. From what I could tell, all men. Yeah, it did look like all men, didn't it? I think so, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, some lights come on, car lights, things like that. They We find out that they have Eugene on the ground, so he, <laughs> he really didn't get very far. <laughs> I don't think. No, he didn't. Um, mustache man walks out. He takes their weapons. He gets right up in Carl's face and flicks his hat. You know, he's trying to be all intimidating. And uh, he tells them to get Maggie up off the stretcher and then get all of them on their knees. Uh, of course, Rick hesitates because it's Rick, but uh, then he gets down. And I thought I thought the sound design in this scene was really cool, the way it worked with the soundtrack, because as Rick goes down and his knee hits the ground, there's like a thump in the music, and then Sasha does it. I think too, and there's another thump, and I just thought it was really effectively done. Cool. Bear McCreary did a nice job here. So they are captured, basically. They are surrounded. We get another commercial break, and when we come back, um, we get another shot of those mysterious lights and voices, and each one of these is getting a little more clear what's going on. Um, and this time we find out because Dwight comes out, he opens the back of a van, and it turns out. We've got Michonne, Daryl, Glenn, and Rosita were in that van the whole time, and they've been looking out through the cracks and the bullet holes in the back of the van. All right. So they bring them out, and we have everybody now on their knees kind of in a row. Uh, Now, Daryl, he has sort of a cloak over him, so I guess he was shot in the shoulder, I guess. Something. We don't know. It's not really ever brought up in this episode. So Which is was my worst fear. It was, yes. <laughs> um, but uh, so we don't know. I guess we're supposed to assume he was shot somewhere non-lethally. Yeah, he, and he, he'll be all right. He'll be all right, apparently. So they've got them all lined up. Mustache Man says that it's time to meet the man. He knocks on the door of the RV, which I assume is... Eugene's RV? Like the RV they were in all along? I think so. I think so. And he knocks on the door, and then out comes Negan. Yeah. The Negan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Um, now, the rest of this episode, 
is basically Negan talking to them. And, you know, I wasn't sure if I needed to really run down the whole conversation, but I do have tons of notes here about it. So um, we might as well go through them. Uh, the first thing basically he wants to know is who, who their leader is, but he already knows his name, Rick. So someone points out who Rick is. Um, he goes through things like how uncool it is of Rick that he killed so many of his people. I disagree with that. I think that's fair play. You know, if you've got a, a, a group of people that are, uh, military in nature in that, uh, it's basically an army to, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure exactly what the goal is, but, uh, to enforce, uh, you know, your army's rule, it's basically self, it's kind of, it seems a little redundant, but, uh, you've got this army and you're out opposing the world in a combative way mm-hmm. and you meet combative resistance. I think that's fair play. Uh, well, I think so. I mean, if you consider it a war of some kind, um, I, I agree with you there, but I also don't. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I don't begrudge Negan for being upset that so many of got, of his people have been killed. Well, from and, a... Uh, and that's what he's saying, right? He's like, you killed a lot of my guys. Then you killed the people I sent out to kill you for killing my guys. So that's uncool. From an egomaniacal dictator point of view, I agree. But from a militant organization meeting resistance and having a bunch of people killed when... Uh, I think that's fair play. Yeah, okay, you may be right. Um, so he says that's uncool, though. And then he, he tells Rick that, you know, what this is is the New World Order, and you don't mess with this. He even uses that phrase, New World Order. Um, and, you know, what, he's, what he means and what he says is that uh, they are supposed to just give all their stuff to Negan, and he says, you work for me now. Um. He goes on a little bit more about explaining and how, how it all works and stuff like that. Um, he says they're going to pay for killing his people, and he says right straight to them that he's going to beat the holy hell out of one of them. Yep. <laughs> That's what he's going to do. He introduces his barbed wire-wrapped baseball bat as Lucille. So that's Lucille the bat. I keep thinking its name is Charlene. It's Lucille. Well, it was in uh, Jane's weapon in uh, Firefly was Charlene. And I keep thinking, oh, it's yeah. Charlene. <laughs> right. That wasn't a baseball bat, though, right? No, that was his very, it was his very favorite gun. Yeah. That he tried to trade for uh, uh, Mal's uh, wife one time. Oh, man, I want to go back and watch Firefly now. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> it was so good. Anyway, so good. it's, it's uh, the baseball bat's name is Lucille. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jane's gun's name is Charlene. Very good. Um, so Negan says that he has to pick out one of them to die. And as he's walking around, he steps past Abe and Abe kind of straightens up like, and like fills himself up a little bit, almost like he's volunteering himself right. to be the one. And, uh, Negan just makes a joke about his mustache and shaving. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's, Negan's not having any of that. He approaches Carl and he mentions that um, he had, Carl had one of the savior's guns. That's the gun with the in, the carving on the handle, I guess. Yep. And uh, Negan tells Carl to lighten up a bit, maybe cry a little. This is, this is frightening. This is scary. This should be scary for you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But Carl does not. He doesn't say anything. Um, he, he goes over to Maggie and he says that Maggie just looks shitty and maybe he should put her out of her misery right now. 
and he kind of looks like he's winding up with the baseball bat a little bit before he can swing it. Glenn screams, no, and runs at him to stop him. But of course, Negan's men subdue him. Um, and Negan says that nobody can do that again. The first outburst is free, but nobody do that again. <laughs> yeah. That's how I run my meetings when, uh, when I'm at work. Yeah. Yeah. When somebody outbursts, I was just like, okay, that one's for free. The yep. next one you pay for. <laughs> Wouldn't want to be in a meeting with you. Yeah. You probably don't. I, uh, you're a hard driving meeting machine. Oh, I'm right a hard it. ass. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so at this point, Rick, uh, Negan realizes that Carl is Rick's son and, uh, Rick yells to stop this, which you would really think would be the second outbreak or, oh, outburst. but he didn't move. He just yelled. He just, yeah, he didn't, uh, he didn't move towards, uh, Negan in any way so he was just it was just verbal uh, blowing off some steam and not an actual physical threat in any way okay so it's a different thing you get one of those for free too I guess no you get seven of those free so it's a movement you get one movement uh, seven verbal outbreaks and uh, you can poop yourself as much as you want <laughs> how about uh, obscene hand gestures can you do a lot of those that counts as movement <laughs> okay there you go are these the rules for your meetings Yes. <laughs> Great. If you feel you must relieve yourself in your pants, you go right ahead. <laughs> now I really don't want to be in one of your meetings. A lot of my meetings are uh, done over the phone. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. It works. Um, all right. Rick yells to stop this, and Negan basically just says he's still trying to decide who it's going to be, and he's walking back and forth. So then he starts eeny, meeny, miny, mo, And as he does the rhyme... We cut back and forth between pretty much every character and we see the bat pointing at each one, you know, different angles, different shots and so on. Um, he lands on it. Uh, that's the last word of the rhyme, I guess. And the, at this point now, the camera is from the perspective of the person he's chosen. Yes. So we are the person that he's chosen. We are. We are looking out this character's eyes. Um, Negan says, if anybody moves, cut the boy's other eye out and feed it to his father. You can breathe, you can blink, you can cry. Hell, you're all going to be doing that. And then he raises the bat and brings it down on somebody's head, I guess. And we know um, not who. We know not who. We get some blood running down the front of the camera, which I guess is supposed to be blood coming in front in the person's eyes. And uh, um, Negan says, oh, he's taking it or taking it like a champ. He doesn't say he or she, because that would be too much of a giveaway. He swings again. Camera cuts to black on the second impact. And then we hear, I counted, seven more bashes, each one getting a little more squishy cracky like skull cracky and brain squishy than the last we hear vague crowd noises in the background and cut to black credits episode done so we do not know who negan beats to death with the bat until <sighs> next season hopefully yes this was possibly jason my biggest fear with this episode that well, they were going to they were going to do it like this. So, uh, do we do we want to talk about this now or are we going to wait? 
No, let's you, you let's talk anything about, else to talk about. Let's talk about it now. I have a few things to to talk about in relation to this actual this actual episode. I mean, we've got the holy craps and we're going to take a break and all that, but let's let's talk about this right now. I want you to go first. I mean, tell me what you thought of this episode and then tell me what you thought of the way they handled the ending. The episode seemed a little long. And I don't mean that in that it was actually, you know, a- actually long. It just, it felt long. Like, I mm-hmm. think they probably could have easily condensed this into a 44-minute regular episode length. Yep. Uh, but, you know, that's okay, I, I think. Um, I'm not sure if I like this episode or not. I'm right on the fence. I'm a, not a, actually, I'm not on the fence. I'm on both sides of the fence. You have straddled the fence. I, I am a, uh, a photon going through the double-slit experiment I go through. I'm going through both slits at the same time, and ultimately interfering with myself. I think you should uh, pick a side, man. Well, I both liked this episode in certain ways and absolutely despised it in others. I the ending in particular. I think on one hand I'm okay with it. On the other hand, it's absolutely horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, why are you okay with it? What makes it okay? Because this is the kind of thing thing the TV does. This is what they do for season finales. I remember when Star Trek did this, I remember when Lost did this. I, you know, there's shows do this. This is a standard thing to do. And if I don't like if I don't like this, The Walking Dead doing it, then I have to retroactively hate every time that it's ever happened. And I don't. Well, I'm not so sure that that is true. <laughs> I think you need to be able to uh, take each situation and each show on its own merit and decide whether this kind of thing works or it doesn't work. But what you're saying is that this is a TV thing and it's it's okay even though you were maybe really hoping for something else in this case i think my biggest problem with this like it's okay so yes absolutely i think this kind of thing has been done and i've been okay with it in the past therefore i've already pre-committed to being okay with this kind of thing so i right. think that i feel like uh, i'm already predisposed to being okay with this kind of thing the execution of this and the pun is not intended uh, is not done well I don't right. think the uh, switching to first person and then having blood flow down the screen uh, and having Negan talk to us like we're taking it like a champ, mm-hmm. uh, I think that kind that could have been done better. And the the end of the eeny, meeny, miny, moe where you are it. And every time, every time we hit a beat, we see the bat in front of a different character. Yeah. Right. Which I can only assume are the characters that we know for sure are not dead. Because if you are it, then you are not the, and you are. Right. Right. Okay. So right. that's, that's another thing. And I'd have to go back to well, look and see who that is. Just before you continue, what I want to do is talk about more who we think it might be on Wednesday. Okay. Um, during the feedback <laughs> show. Um, Right now, yeah, we need to go watch it again, probably need to think about it a little bit more, analyze the scene a little bit. I don't know. I, I'm not convinced there is a way to figure out who it is. Well, I'm, I'm well, sure no. there's not. I'm sure there's not. I'm, for sure, a there's not. Of, I'm sure the actors don't know. 
No, that, and that's one of the reasons, and I'm going to get into that in a second. But um, at least, at the very least, look what was on screen and try to determine if a subset of characters makes the most sense. But we'll do that on Wednesday. Yeah, okay. When we have more time to think about it. Sure. But uh, I don't like the way they did it. I like, I, I'm okay with what they did. I don't like how they did it. Right. Is why I'm on both sides of the fence on this one. Okay. Well, my feeling in the episode as a whole is that it was not very good. It, As you said, it did not need to be a 90-minute episode. Um, the whole thing kind of felt really repetitive to me. Like, how many roadblocks can you encounter and turn around? You know, well, It's four. The answer is four. Yeah. Well, they could have easily done it with a couple instead of four, two instead of four. Um, they threw in the, the zombie chain gang to me. I felt like just to mix it up a little bit so they didn't have another group of guys blocking the road. But maybe, maybe do two roadblocks in the chain gang. You don't need the other one. Um, you don't need the stack of logs, right? Yeah. So all of that felt a little bit repetitive as they were doing it. And Frankly, it's not that exciting. It's not that interesting watching characters drive around and keep getting their path impeded. I I didn't I really didn't understand why they needed to keep that going on for so long. So I don't feel like that was great storytelling. I don't feel like it was a great premise for an episode. Um I think I said earlier the Carol and Morgan stuff I was kind of okay with. I didn't mind how that played out. And it was tense at the end, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And um, and then it introduced these new guys, so all that was okay. So that was kind of the other part of this episode that I was kind of okay with. Now, the ending, um, I, I hated the cliffhanger, um, but I get your point. I can see that it's a TV thing, and I'm just going to – I maybe should have expected something like that. Uh but there's a few things – well, just before I get into the cliffhanger, the introduction of Negan and his, like, 10-minute walking around talking was fantastic. Oh, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I wanted to – I'm glad you brought that up because I could spend an hour talking about it. I thought he did a really good job, and I like him as Negan, and I'm afraid of him overshadowing this show maybe his awesomeness. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, he – He's fantastic. He, he the portrayal of this confident, like super overconfident, but evil dude, obviously evil guy, was just fantastic. It was he did such a good job. He looked amazing. He he, he it was just an incredible performance, and uh, like he was so menacing. And then on the on the counter side of that, Rick Andrew Lincoln as Rick on the ground, he pulled off the Rick eye acting again. He right. was. He was amazing. Again, he looked genuinely terrified and confused and just utterly defeated, I thought, you know, and, you know, we've seen Rick do some amazing things just with his eyes before he didn't have, he really didn't say anything in this scene and Andrew Lincoln was amazing. So the last 10 to 12 minutes or whatever it was of this episode was just chock full of, of, uh, award-winning performances, I thought. Yes. I really, I really liked the speech. I really liked uh, everything right up until the last seven and a half seconds, whatever it was. Yeah, the yeah. last seven or what was it? It was eight clubs to the head. Yes, yeah. well, seven and a half seconds of video, probably about fifteen seconds of uh, you know complete episode. Yeah. So I, I, I hated the cliffhanger. I was ready to find out what was going on. I was ready for this story to 
come to a head and have some resolution or some payoff. And to talk about your concept that it's a TV thing, I feel like that makes this even worse because, <laughs> because it's, it's, it's almost like bowing to the pressure of um, we've always done it this way. So let's continue to do it this way in terms of other TV shows. And I think that's bad because the walking dead, at least in the early few seasons, didn't do that. They didn't follow that formula. You know, they had Sophia come out of the barn. They didn't show, you know, the barn door open and then cut the black. We'll find out who it is next season. Right. They didn't do, they didn't used to do that kind of stuff. They used to give us a story, you know, there's some mystery and then, um, and then they'd play it out and they'd pay it off. And it was fantastic. The Sophia thing is still one of my favorite scenes in six seasons of this show. Oh yeah. The Negan speech is up there, to be honest. The ne- the introduction of Negan here until the last few seconds is right up there. Um but all I'm saying is the Walking Dead used to do it differently. They used to tell stories a little bit differently, and now it feels like they've just fallen back into the stereotypical kind of boring way of doing it. You make why? a why are they doing this? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, uh maybe they maybe the the viewership is is waning a little bit and they think they have to do these things to like keep people on board for next season i don't know yeah i, I mean you make a compelling argument and i'm feeling a little stupid for being okay with this <laughs> well, no, my, don't feel <laughs> stupid i mean that's the <laughs> just, way it just, is just just a little bit not not a whole lot sorry i'm making uh, everyone feel stupid i mean i'm making jason feel stupid everyone <laughs> okay at what point uh i don't know what your plan is for comparing and contrasting to the comic well, Wednesday. I didn't really have a great plan for it because I still don't really want to spoil the comic. <laughs> right. But I mean, maybe we should do that in a bit of a spoiler section uh, on okay. Wednesday if we have time. All right. Uh, I don't know. But then there's one more thing that that um, uh, I really didn't like about this, and it came after the episode. So after this episode, I watched the first part of AMC's Talking Dead show. You got to stop that. No, sometimes, sometimes <laughs> I, I do, I, I need to do it. Like I, not always, I don't usually watch the whole thing, but Scott Gimple was on there. Robert Kirkman, Norman Reedus and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yeah. They fit a lot of dudes on that little couch. <laughs> they were all very up close together. Um, Scott Gimple, was asked about this, of course, like, you know, what's, what's the reason for doing it this way with the cliffhanger and not revealing who it is. And he said this, what people saw was the end of a story. When we reveal who was on the receiving end, that's the beginning of a new story. And Jason, I've never wanted to reach through my TV so bad and just punch a dude in the face because that to me is the biggest piece of bs cop-out justification i've ever heard in my life is he i'm not sure i understand is he lying or is he wrong um in my opinion i think he's wrong (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i don't think the the bashing of someone's head in like that is the beginning of a new story that is the end of this story and i know that's just my opinion and i'm sure other people may see it the other way but when you when you're building towards something you need to pay off that something and you know the show itself the story they were telling i think they were building towards this but even in the real world 
they were building towards this. We had all the actors coming out saying this is the this is the best episode we've ever filmed. Norman Reedus said I couldn't talk after seeing this episode. Andrew Lincoln said whatever it's the most intense thing, all this stuff, this and that. They were building us up for something to be let down with like a nothing ending. And then he comes out and says, oh, this is the story we were trying to tell that this is, you know, what we saw. That's the end of the story. And what when we reveal who it is, even though we don't know who it is yet, I mean, maybe to, at this time they do because they're going to start shooting soon. But when they filmed that, they had not decided who they were going to kill yet. The actors on set didn't know who they were going to kill yet, which to me takes away a little bit from the uh, the emotional punch that they were feeling on the day filming it. Like if they don't know who's going to die, they, they aren't as emotionally involved. I disagree on that point. Well, I mean, nobody on set knew that Darth Vader was Luke's father and they pulled that whole thing off. No, but I'm saying everyone, but no one came out ahead of uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back and said, this is the most emotional thing you're ever going to, you know, They see. would today. <laughs> oh, maybe. I don't know. But I'm just saying all this stuff they said about this episode being the greatest thing ever. And they didn't even really know what they were getting into. At, they were talking the about time. the intensity and the, the emotional aspect to it. Um, I think it takes away, for, uh, away from it a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, because they're talking about something they don't really have the full picture on yet. And they should have. They should have had the full picture because this is the end of this story. But that reaction will be the beginning of next season, right? Like, I agree with you in that having a cliffhanger is not the end of a story. The intention of a cliffhanger is not to wrap everything up in a bow. Exactly. Like story, you don't tell stories that way, right? You don't tell stories and then leave it as a cliffhanger and go, oh, well, that's the end of that. Uh, thanks for coming out. I mean, Stephen King does that, but, you know, fuck him. So (laughs) there's a way to do that. There's a way when it's the end, like when there is nothing else coming, that's fine. There's more coming here and they just chose not to to give it to us. So, yeah, this is a cliffhanger. They've cut it off before the resolution. Like, obviously, it's not we haven't this situation has not been resolved. And Mm -hmm. therefore, we have not come to a logical or a moral end to the story. So I agree with you on that point. All right. Uh, the point that, uh, what was the point that I was going to make? It, when I said that the, the actors shouldn't talk about something they don't know, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just hype. They're actors. This is part of their contracts now. I know. Right. Back in the seventies and eighties, uh, actors didn't, this wasn't part of the actor's contract, uh, doing the promo tour of late night television. They did that because Johnny Carson, uh, gave him a call and said, Hey, do you want to be on the show? It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're damn right. I want to be on the show. It's Carson. Exactly. So now it's part of their contract and they have agreements with Jimmy Kimmel and all these other, I just assume that they have agreements so that the actors sign up for, uh, I'm going to do the picture. I'm going to do the promotional stuff afterwards. And since the studio has deals with or owns late night television, obviously I'm going to go on and talk about the, uh, uh, you know, hype the movies. Of course. Um, So it's just part of their job to do these things, right? Yes. So I don't begrudge them that. And their job is not to go, yeah, it was, you know, it was was okay and everything, but, you know, it was kind of a letdown overall. Okay. Fair fair enough. Fair enough that they're, they're not going to say that it's, that it's bad or anything like that. Um, But you can at least agree 
that I think Scott Gimple's statement about this being the end of a story and the, the reveal of who is killed is the beginning of a new story is complete BS. It's total, total BS. He yeah. might believe it. I, I don't know if he's lying. I think he might actually believe it, but I don't know that that is true. He's probably been forced into a corner for this. It's like, well, we got to build ratings for the next season. And in order to do that, we have to have a cliffhanger because when Star Trek had a cliffhanger, their ratings went through the roof. And mm-hmm. can you remember how huge Lost was at the end of the first season? Yep. It was massive. You have to have a cliffhanger. <laughs> Let's have a cliffhanger. And then we'll super, we'll build the ratings uh, for uh, the beginning of next season. Remember that cliffhanger we had with, uh, with Glenn in the dumpster when everybody thought he was dead that worked out so well that worked out so well so yeah. now we got to have an even bigger one who's gonna die who shot jr you know that was a huge one yep that was That's what that my was... wife said too she said dallas did this i'm like you really are gonna compare that to this <laughs> <laughs> dallas to the walking hey dead. don't you knock dallas <laughs> you go watch dallas and then you can talk about it you go watch beverly hills 90210 then i'm, I'm not talking about it i don't want to talk about it <laughs> fine <laughs> uh that's a callback um <laughs> So All right. I so, think Scott Gimple, I think he, uh, basically he's the showrunner. So, and he's the showrunner after we got all of the controversy from the first few seasons of uh, showrunners that show up and then end up leaving the show, uh, which is, uh, you were talking about uh, how the storytelling was different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sure, that tells, a, that tells a wonderful story, but it may not please the studio all that much. Well, that's the story that comes out of this for me that, yeah, this feels like AMC doing what you just did saying, Hey, other shows have done it. We need a cliffhanger to boost ratings for next season. That's what this feels like to me. Like Scott Gimple, I don't want to say anything bad about him, but I I even believe like given the choice, he maybe wouldn't have done this. Maybe he's feeling external pressure. I have uh, I have a, I was in a band with a guy named Mark uh, and he used to say that a camel is a horse designed by a committee. And I think this is a show ending designed by a committee. It and feels like sure. six, you know, big wigs in a room going, okay, so we've got your preliminary script for the, uh, for the season finale. Let's, uh, let's punch it up a little bit and give them some notes here. Okay. What if we did a cliffhanger? Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. It would, you know, Dallas did it. That, uh, really helped them out. Okay. Right. So how do we do a cliffhanger? How do we show that he kills somebody without showing who's, uh, who's, uh, going to die? Oh, first person. We'll make the audience the person and we won't know who it is. It's like, oh, that's great. Let's, let's throw in, uh, a few scenes that speckle in the, into the season, a few scenes of blood on the camera. Right. That way, when we see the blood on the camera at the end, we're like, yeah. All right, throw that in there. Sure. Okay, who else has got an idea? You know, and so... And nobody put up their hand and said, maybe we don't need so many roadblocks. Maybe we can cut a roadblock or two and get to this a little sooner. Maybe. Maybe they were thinking, hey, we need 90 minutes. How are we going to fill 90 minutes? Oh, I know. More roadblocks. More roadblocks. (laughs) More cowbell. (laughs) Yeah, it's... You're right. It feels like that's the way this episode was constructed. It's like, well, we need to keep people on longer. We want their eyeballs on AMC for 90 minutes instead of 60. And we need a cliffhanger so that they'll they'll be really excited about season seven coming back, which uh, I think is going to backfire on them. Um, I know season premieres always have huge ratings, but and I don't know, I, I, I hesitate to even bring it up. But part of me wishes and hopes 
that the ratings for season seven, episode one are way down and fucking AMC learns a lesson and says, just, well, just that, for spite. Well, that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Just for spite. I, I don't want that to happen because I want the show to be successful and I want it to be good. And it has been so good at times over six years um, that when it's not as good like this, I get upset. But anyways, before we, we wrap up here, I you made a point a second ago about the other showrunners, and I hadn't really thought of that. You know, we had Frank Darabont and then Glenn Mazzara, and um, those guys were the guys who were telling stories in slightly non-traditional ways for TV. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that's what I want. And both of those guys didn't last on the show, and I wonder why. Yeah. You know, because they weren't a committee for all the reasons that have Princess Leia. Yeah. For all the reasons that have come out for their departures and disagreements here or there, whatever. I wonder if it just comes down to ultimately the end of the day, AMC didn't feel like they were, they had their hand in the pot enough. Yeah. And and he's being, he's been being manipulated like this. I have all the respect in the world for uh, Gail and Hurd. Yeah, that's but true. She's got to lay off a little bit. <laughs> she just take a step back. Let take people do what back. they're going to do. Yeah. So, I mean, the problem with the uh, uh, the television business is that it's both an art and a business, right? Being a sh- yep. you watch that, sh- that documentary showrunners. I know it. I haven't seen it. No. Oh, it, I mean, there's one quote. I forget who the quote is uh, is by, but it's one of the showrunners. It says, uh, "Running a show is like painting a painting, writing a novel, and doing your taxes all at the same time." That's got to be tough. Yeah, that sounds like something you wouldn't want to do all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Jason, we're pretty deep in here. Let's take our quick break, and then when we come back, we got uh, holy craps and. This is going to be slightly epic because we got a lot of holy craps to get through too. So uh, I hope you're ready. Can you be slightly epic? Um, yes, I seem say... like a little, little bit pregnant. Maggie is a little bit pregnant. Uh, yeah, we. I hope so. Anyways, <laughs> but then, uh, but then, what's his name in the uh, Princess Bride was only mostly dead. So things are a sliding scale. I think there are variable degrees to everything from epic to to death. It'll be epical. (laughs) There you go. All right. We'll be back in a moment, everyone. Stay with us.
If you want to help support the Talking Dead podcast, everyone, you can do so in a couple of great ways. The first is by visiting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. You've heard me say it before, but what you can do over there is make a small monthly pledge that just basically goes right back into helping us with the cost of putting on this podcast. And uh, if you want to give a little bit more, there are some reward levels that you can check out, which at some point we'll go into a bit more. But uh, for now, if you want to visit us on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. Uh, the other way to help out is by using our Amazon link, and you can find those at talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon. And uh, what you want to do is go there and click on the uh, country of your choice, and then when you do all your shopping at Amazon, a tiny little cut comes back to us, and it uh, doesn't cost you an extra cent. So it's a really easy way to help out as well. And the reason we do Patreon and Amazon is because we've never been a show that wants to include many ads actual sponsorships on the show necessarily um so we think this is a couple of great ways to uh you know to have people be able to support us without putting filling the show with ads um not to say we've never done that but you know we don't want to do it too much so patreon and amazon two great ways to help out we thank everyone so much for listening everybody it's time for holy crap did you see that now what i'm gonna do here is say that a lot of people wrote in very similar holy craps you can probably imagine what most of them were uh sort of revolving around um but we're gonna start with two calls oh and what i wanted to say is so what i've done is i've kind of edited the edited them a little bit i can't say that word very well for some reason um so you might hear your holy crap i did have to leave a bunch out sadly but if you do hear yours i might have you know just taking a couple sentences, something like that, just so we're not here all night. Uh, but anyways, I'm going to start with a couple of calls. This first one is from Chris in Oakley, Michigan. Hi, guys. But of an early, holy crap, did you see that? Well, while watching the marathon leading up to the finale, I noticed that in the mid-season premiere, the famous white car in the background of the rocket launcher scene has been edited out. I even had to do a double check and went back and checked on my recorded version. So I think that confirms to us that the white car was, in fact, something that was entirely overlooked by the production crew until after it was actually premiered. So just figured I'd send in my early, holy crap, did you see that? Holy shit, that's great. So one, I, I, want, I know this isn't really related to this episode specifically, but um, I wanted to play it because it's really interesting because I think it may be the first time that I know of that a change has been made to an episode uh, for later broadcast. 
Oh man, was George Lucas involved? <laughs> Some, maybe I don't know. Zing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it basically, I guess, it basically confirms that it was just a just a screw up and it was a production mistake. They wanted to get it out of there. Thanks, uh, Chris, for noticing that and sending it in. All right, now we got Pamela in Canberra, Australia. Hi, guys. It's Pamela from Canberra, Australia, calling. I have a holy crap, did you see that moment from this week? It's when Carol was talking to Morgan in the library, and she's saying that he would have to eventually kill someone if he cares for someone and he sits with the group. He looked at her in disbelief, and sure enough, not a few minutes later, there he was, gunning down a man to save Carol's life and compromising everything he stood for. Anyway, it's been great listening to you guys this season. Looking forward to next one as well. Take care. Thanks so much, Pamela. So um, there it is. That's Morgan's sort of whole arc right there. Like, he can't do it, but when it comes right down to it, yes, he can. Yeah. Well, you know what you need to? You got to do what you got to do. You got to. Uh, feel free to call anytime, Pamela. Your accent is adorable. <laughs> uh, Jason in Massachusetts, USA, writes, Holy crap, did you see that? No? I knew Gimple and company are milking this show dry, and they were sure to leave us hanging. I've chosen not to watch Season 6, Episode 16 until October, right before Season 7, Episode 1 airs. Huh. Um, yeah, I don't know how Jason knows exactly what's going on, but uh, maybe that's not a terrible idea, you know? And that brings up the whole idea of cliffhangers and binge-watching. Had I seen this with the ability to see the next episode immediately, would I have felt the same way? Pra maybe not. Maybe not. Pra maybe, pra maybe not. Pra, pra baby, pra baby. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Pra so, maybe. Yeah. I don't That's, know. Uh, yeah, and I remember watching Lost, the first season of Lost for the first time. I missed the first episode, and I watched it for a while, and I thought it was awesome, like when it was, as the show was airing. Right. And then I kind of fell off for whatever reason. And then uh, when it came out on DVD just before the second season, and I binge-watched it, and it was friggin' awesome. And then there was that cliffhanger at the end. Uh, you know, the light coming on in the hatch. I'm sorry, spoiler alert for uh, the first season of Lost. You know, spoiler alerts are more effective when you do them before you deliver the spoiler. I know, but I don't always remember. So spoiler alert, I'm a bad spoiler alert giver. It's fine. <laughs> Which I'll, is also for, redundant. For some reason, I, I'll let this one go. All right. So uh, so the, the finale of, of the first season of Lost, uh, I thought it was it was really good. Like that's how you that's how you do a cliffhanger. Yeah, I I think I, for some reason I co- totally agree with you. The first season of the Lost, I have no problem with. Um, but I think maybe the difference is it's the first season. You're you you don't know what the show is yet. You haven't really built towards anything in the same way. You don't have six years of character development and this and that. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe that has nothing to do with it. But maybe it strictly comes down to. How much I was paying attention at the time. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. We'll see. Uh, Rebecca in Scotland writes, My holy freaking crap moment was, of course, Negan. For such a dick of a character, he's more likable than the governor for me. But seriously, that ending, though. I watched it over and over to try and get the angle of Negan and whoever he killed. Yep, couldn't figure that one out. So instead, I ate seven Easter eggs. 
Nice. <laughs> that would make anyone feel better, I suppose. So I assume that there were the Cadbury Easter eggs or the uh, some kind of chocolate Easter egg instead, not just the uh, the painted, decorated Easter eggs. I wouldn't eat those. No, I'd eat the not chocolate. seven of them. Maybe one or two. That's a hell of a that's a hell of an omelet. It really is. Uh, I've Josh, done it. <laughs> Josh, it's not fun though. Sorry. No, I guess not. <laughs> I'm going to cut you off seven more times, and then we can go. Josh, in Columbus, Indiana. Holy crap, did you see how disappointing it was that they didn't deliver on a character death? As awesome as Negan was, we should have got a payoff. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, totally. Antoine in New York. Holy crap, did you see me sweating buckets along with Rick and the gang? I felt like I was there. I'm freaking out, guys. I'm freaking out. <laughs> so, um, I've tried to order these. I didn't pay too much attention to the order, but some people did really like this, and I, I love that, that, you know, that... There's uh, different opinions about this episode all over the place. Um, but, so we're going to go back and forth here a little bit. The next one is Jeremy in West Virginia. Holy crap, did you see that the Walking Dead Nation just got robbed? Oh, it's pretty harsh. Uh, Mike on the internet. Holy crap, did you see those bullshit last few seconds of the show? Seriously, AMC had their very own Walking Dead Red Wedding and they fucked it up. What a disappointment. Huh. I don't want to get into what that means exactly, but it is a good example of a show that has no fear to do stuff that's going to shock people and pay off things and show stuff to people like The Walking Dead used to be, but it isn't so much anymore. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get back there. Hopefully we will. Yeah. Good point, Mike. All right. Laura, a former Torontonian now living in Montreal, says, holy crap. The last scene with Negan bashing in the head of one of our beloved characters was the worst time to show the most cartoonish camera blood dripping slash splatter ever. I've seen more realistic camera splatters when one of my characters died at the end of Goldeneye on N64. (laughs) It really took an emotional and intense scene and made it feel less serious. I kind of think that way about all the blood splatter moments, but... um, this one, yeah, maybe because we've had so many come before it, was one of the dumber ones. Yeah. Adam in Texas, my holy crap moment has to be me being creeped the fuck out by the saviors being one step ahead of them and seeming to amass more and more people at every turn or roadblock. I was worried that Negan was just another governor, but he and his gang are a truly terrifying bunch of psychos. They really are. I think that's true, yeah. I mean, good Lord, the way they rounded them up into the forest there and surrounded them. And then of course, basically torturing them. So Corey in Indiana writes, Holy crap. Did you see anything? Me either. This was the worst finale in show history. Not only did we get 75 minutes of absolutely nothing, but we were robbed of satisfaction by that ending. So (laughs) another listener who really wasn't happy there, Corey. Yeah. Uh, George in Byron Bay, Australia. Holy crap, they ruined one of the most iconic scenes from the comic just for a few more views on season seven. But don't worry, guys. I saw Nicholas fall in the way of Lucille before Negan took the first swing. Whoever it was is fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure they'd be fine. I'm sure, you know, Nicholas was there to save the day. Noop J in Dallas writes, holy trap, did you see that? Every roadblock, all I could think was these poor guys are being funneled into a trap. Sure enough, they were. Poor someone or other. <laughs> poor somebody. <laughs> yeah, somebody. 
Um, all right, we're just blowing through. John in Deal UK. Holy crap moment. The sign Morgan saw at the beginning was clearly painted by the same person who did the Don't Open Dead Inside graffiti on the doors in the pilot. Same handwriting. Oh my, all the way from Atlanta. I didn't notice that while I was watching it, but uh, I think maybe they have the same sign artist working on the show, maybe? I think maybe it's a style that they said, uh, we need a sign uh, painted and can you do it in the same style as the rest of the show? Or they made a decision and it's like they watched the show and it's like, oh yeah, we'll use this style. I don't think it was the same artist I necessarily. Bet it it might have been the same same person behind the scenes doing the doing the lettering for the show. I mean, they figure six years later, no one will notice the same font. I don't, and even somebody, illustrators don't use the same font. I mean, they're skilled enough that they can do things in different fonts and they're skilled enough that different illustrators can do the same thing in the same font as something else. So I don't necessarily think that just because it looks similar means anything about who did it. It's not, so it's just a coincidence? I really do think so. All right. But no, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think that it was done on purpose, but I just don't think it's the same person. It's like a stylistic choice for the show. Yes. All right. They probably Matt. have a style book that they have uh, somewhere where when they need something, they go, here, here's the, the style guide for uh, for the show. Sure. Oh, I'm sure they do have that, um, at least uh, for certain things anyways, uh, like design and, you know, all the stuff they have to do. Anyways, Matt in Louisville, Kentucky writes, holy crap, apparently Morgan has a ninja horse. As Carol's torturer was somehow caught off guard by his approach. I guess the body armor Ginger had a ninja horse too. Does everyone on this show have the worst hearing ever? How has everyone fucking sneaked up on so much? I thought these were hardened survivors. <laughs> yeah, they really have a problem. Matt's, Especially Daryl. Matt's uh, email, it's sort of funny. You can just feel him getting more and more frustrated as he <laughs> writes it. And then the line, how has everyone fucking sneaked up on so much is all caps. <laughs> awesome. I like that one. Uh, but it's true. Uh, in that scene where Morgan appears on the scene in straight in the view of the savior, who's walking back towards Carol, uh, and the guy didn't notice him in time. Like what? <laughs> you know, you're, he's right there. You don't see him. Yeah. Must be Ninja horse. I, I would, guess. I would assume so. Sue Ellen in Sydney, Australia, which she spelled with an O. So I don't know if that's an, a typo or if it's an O to force me to pronounce it Australia. Auto-correct? Auto-incorrect? Maybe, yeah. Um, Holy crap, even when Carol goes on a suicidal death march, she makes better lifestyle choices than the rest of Rick's group combined. While Rick's group is mentally and physically tortured by the saviors, and one even beaten to death by Negan, Carol is saved by Morgan and a couple of handsome young dudes with horses. (laughs) Handsome young men on horses, mind you. How good is that? That's awesome. I think uh, Sue Ellen enjoys the handsome young men on horses. With armor and and a spear. Yeah. I I thought those guys were the most intriguing part of this whole episode. Yeah, I really liked them. Maybe not the whole episode, but they they were very cool. Can't wait I to would like out. to find out what's going on with them and maybe have a spinoff show about them. And join their newsletter. <laughs> yes, and sign up for their newsletter. Exactly. Nice. And start a podcast. Jenna in Kentucky, holy crap, did you see all those bad choices? I mean, people, why are you stopping for the roadblock? You know it's Negan's people. Plow through them. You are bigger. Face palm. For the love of, okay, you don't want to dent the RV plowing over them. Got it. 
but under no circumstances should you have left them alive. Is it just me that thinks they should have uh, should have one person ride on the roof and just machine gun the crap out of everybody on the way without slowing down? Uh, yeah, if they had a machine gun. They do. They're all carrying. They're those all carrying. Oh, those are not machine guns. Those are assault rifles. Well, a machine gun is like is a a mounted thing that takes two people. Okay, and is belt fed. Got it. But what if someone was strapped to the roof with that gun, and as they approach, they could just open fire on them and then just plow right through? That that'd be great. It's, it would be even better if they had a machine gun. It would be even better. The, the only problem I have with that idea is they do park cars across the road, and you may be bigger. An RV still isn't going to survive like a full-speed collision with a couple of vehicles. No, and uh, you should go watch the first Mad Max movie to see an example of that. Uh, yeah, Car exactly. driving through a uh, a camper, which is basically an RV. Uh, the It was the director's actual camper that he sacrificed for that uh, for that shot. And, oh, really? And it was real, and it was full of stuff, and they drove a car through it, and it was a disaster. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, if it's just guys, maybe motorcycles like we had way back, if, if it was just motorcycles and, and people, yes, you could plow through them, but not other vehicles. That's the problem. Yeah. And definitely not a giant stack of logs. Um, Where are we? Kim in Toronto. Holy crap, did you see that or rather hear that? Going into this episode, I thought I would be furious if it ended on a cliffhanger a la Glenn under the dumpster. However, after watching this episode, I find myself okay with this cliffhanger it was very clear and crunchy and squishy that somebody most definitely died as long as somebody died and it was a major character all this angst will have been worth it even if it's glenn or daryl jeffrey dean morgan did a phenomenal job as negan i have high hopes for next season p.s yada 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 sweet sweet love making Uh, so I didn't want to take away from Kim's point but that was funny so I included it but um, Kim she's okay with the cliffhanger um, because clearly someone's dead and as long as it's a meaningful death it sounds like she's going to be okay with it Uh, yes hopefully Uh, me I'm not so sure Uh, Henry in Dublin Ireland my holy crap is season finale cliffhanger of course we weren't going to find out who died at Negan's hand but for anyone expecting it the sensible money should have been on a season uh, cliffhanger and ideally none of the cast or crew knew either day one of filming next year let's film six deaths and then play one in the season premiere I wonder if they're going to do that like how are they going to keep this a secret well all summer while they've already shot it, you know, um, because they do have to do a trailer, of course, for Comic-Con in the summer as well, I mean, I guess they don't have to, but they have every other year. So they're going to, what are they going to do in that trailer? They're going to show a bunch of characters and the one who's not there is the one who's dead. They're going to have to do something creative, I think. Uh, yeah, they will have to do something creative or, I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the trailer will just be, uh, like, if they do shoot six different deaths, maybe they'll just show the six different deaths and they'll be like, oh, who died? Who died? Could they have been got beaten to these. death. Yeah, it could have been. Or, and then they put a big or between the, the different scenes. <laughs> this or this or. Oh, my God. I mean, even the Simpsons did it. Who shot uh, Mr. Burns? Mm-hmm. But they were playing on who shot Jr. Yes, they were. So the answer, of course, is. It's obviously the baby. The baby did it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
maybe maybe Negan clubbed the baby. Uh, no, she wasn't in the RV. She was with Father Gabriel. Yeah, you're right. Um, okay. Uh, Jason in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Holy crap, after this episode, I need a Xanax. I have never been this nervous for a television show until this one. We all knew Negan was coming, and still, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. From the group running into the saviors to seeing Morgan's pacifism disappear to save Carol, this whole episode was amazing. Again, I'm glad that there are people that have written in to to say things like that, because I do love to hear... um, People from people who like stuff that you know sometimes we don't necessarily aren't all that keen on. Yeah, it's good. Floyd on the internet. Holy crap! If this guy is really pushed off that bridge with a chain around his neck, his head is probably coming off. See, <laughs> yeah. someone agrees with me. Definitely, Floyd agrees with you there. Matt in Clementon, New Jersey. Listen, holy crap! Did you see how terrified Rick looked looked when he realized they were surrounded in the woods? You idiots. Rick has used his facial expressions only to show his emotions a lot. Hearing the kids through the gate at Alexandria, realizing Carl put Lori down, seeing Lori and Carl for the first time, etc. I think this was the first time he had to show genuine fear. Nice job, Andrew Lincoln. Yeah. No, that was good. That was very good. Definitely an amazing scene. That guy can act out of a paper bag with his eyes. Danielle on the internet. Holy crap. Did you see what an amazing job Andrew Lincoln did of making Rick look absolutely terrified to lose one of his group and most of all, lose control of everything else too. The pain shown in his eyes was unbelievable and I felt 10 times more caught up in the moment because of it. Yeah. So uh, same kind of point there. Um, but I think it's interesting to think about how Rick in that scene is just completely realizing that he's screwed. Like he's completely lost control. There's nothing he can do to stop what's about to happen. Yeah. And I'm not sure Rick has ever been in a situation like that before, right? No, because his uh, his default action is to kill it as well, right? When in doubt, kill it. Yeah. When has he ever not done that? Well, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how he's feeling, right? He's like, I wish I could kill everyone in this clearing right now, but he knows he's powerless and totally helpless. Yeah, unable to kill it. That's right. Uh, we got some more here. Beth in Kansas. Holy crap, did you not see that? I can't believe the show decided to go in that direction and leave us hanging until next year. I can't figure out if I'm mad, disappointed, or okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tom in Reading, UK. The group of saviors we meet on the road while going towards the hilltop. The guy that did the talking and the guy that, uh, and kicked the guy as Rick got into the RV, sounds and moves around like a character called Trevor from GTA 5, Grand Theft Auto 5. Oh, Trevor. So you remember Trevor? I remember Trevor. Mustache guy that I've been calling him all podcast. Yeah. He is just like Trevor from the video game. He's like Trevor. Yeah. I want to go back and play that. That was a good game. It was fun, but it's uncanny how similar they are. Yeah. Uh, But good, good call there, Tom. Michael in London. Holy crap, that final scene was possibly the greatest scene of the entire Walking Dead. I'm a big... And huge fan of the Sophia out of the barn mid-season finale from season two, but this topped that. Also, holy crap, how white were Negan's teeth? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't notice his teeth, but apparently he's got good dental hygiene. Yeah. Even in the zombie apocalypse. Maybe uh, some, maybe one of the groups uh, that he extracts stuff from has uh, is a dentist college and that they have a whole bunch of dental students there. Boy, would that ever be a good opportunity to to like 
cut the head off the snake. If you have him in a dentist chair and you're working on his teeth, all you got to do is take out a knife and stick it in his chin. What do you think the odds are that if somebody's working on uh, Negan in uh, in the chair that uh, uh, that the dentist has a gun to his head? Oh, good point. Good point. Probably pretty good. Probably pretty, pretty good, good chance. Good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last three here are sort of funny. Josephine in Vancouver. Holy crap. Lucille made her introduction on the same day that Major League Baseball season began. Coincidence? <laughs> oh, I my. I think not. <laughs> That's true. Um, Chris in Colorado Springs. Holy crap. If you freeze frame right before Negan swings the bat. You can see Fonzie with skis on just over the tree line. <laughs> That's harsh. That's tough. <laughs> it's in uh, jumping the shark is a perspective thing. You can't define it at the moment. You have to look back on the uh, on the the show before the shark jumping and after. So I don't. I mean, I understand the sentiment, but uh, we won't know for a couple of years if this is the moment. Okay, we won't know. It it clearly feels like it to Chris in Colorado Springs, though. Uh, yeah. One more here. This comes from Laura in Illinois. And, um, you know, I'm never sure if it's Illinois or Illinois. Anyways. It's Illinois. All right, Illinois. <laughs> and Laura may have the most important point of the night. And I'm going to try to take what she says to heart. Laura says, holy crap. Did you see how everyone is now an experienced showrunner? Quit complaining, people. This is entertainment. Were you entertained? The answer is yes. And uh, that's a bit of a mic drop. Uh, holy crap there, I think. So we're basically, we're falling into the Monday morning showrunner trap. Well, she's saying stop complaining and, and enjoy the show for what it is. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being critical and analyzing and doing all the things we do here and nitpicking occasionally, <laughs> occasionally. Yeah. Um, but I also think that Laura makes a good point in that sometimes you just got to enjoy it for what it is. Sit back and enjoy. Yep. I was making a reference to Monday morning quarterback, uh, Sunday night football right. and Monday morning quarterback where you're making, you're judging all the decisions and yep. trying to, okay, so that's what we're doing is Monday morning showrunner. I guess that's what we're doing, yeah. But you know, that's what we do, and that's what that's a our lot job. Of, that's what a lot of a lot of people do. <laughs> and uh, as as good a point as Laura has, I don't think we're going to stop because uh, we do this all in the in the name of love, right? We want the show to be amazing, and we're hoping that by saying things <laughs> about talking about it so much, it'll just make it better. I don't know how that logic works, but anyways. Um, that's it. Thank you everyone for writing in your holy craps. We actually got a lot more. We got so much email this week. We are going to probably do a, a longer extended feedback show on Wednesday. So get ready for that. Um, but if you didn't hear your, your feedback, maybe it'll come up in a couple of days. Um, but I also just apologize that I can't fit everyone in. I, w I wish I could, but you know, it's just the way it is. All right. So um, before we wrap up here, as I said just now, feedback show on Wednesday. Um, and then after that, Fear the Walking Dead comes back next Sunday. So we will be podcasting on Monday about that. And one other thing we're going to do, which listeners have been asking, is watch through Flight 462. The complete um, series now is out. 
Um, Jason, I don't know if you've seen yeah. any of it. I've not seen any of it, but uh, I plan on watching it. Okay, so sometime before next Monday, watch through that because we're going to talk about that briefly when we podcast about the season premiere of Fear the Walking Dead next Monday night. Um, so we'll see how those sort of tie in, if they do at all. We'll see, you know, where that where that goes. Um, and then after that, we'll be podcasting once a week for the first half of Fear Season 2. Um, and then one more thing I just want to, you know, now that we're at the end of another season of The Walking Dead, and I'll probably say this on Wednesday as well, but a huge thank you to everybody who listens to this show and uh, um, participates or not. I mean, just just downloads and listens. It's so amazing because I know not everybody stays with us through the off season of the main show. Uh, so we do, you know, have a bunch of listeners will probably tune out for a little while until next up next October. But, um, I always do like to just thank everyone who takes the time to download and listen and, uh, hopefully enjoy what they hear. So if we don't have you until next October, um, hopefully you come back and just a huge thank you and a big hug for listening. Super big hug. The big, the hug, a hug on the level of the one that Abe and Eugene had in this episode. Yes. At that least that a, level. At least maybe, that level. Maybe just a little bit more. <laughs> That's a pretty good hug. Yeah. All right. So send in your feedback, although I feel like we already have enough. <laughs> but if you want to send in some more, by all means, by all means do so uh, by sending email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website and click on send voicemail if you'd like to record a message right into your computer and uh, get it to us. And then, of course, follow us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Um, and that's pretty long, Jason, but that's going to do it for this podcast about the season six finale. See you next week, everyone. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao, ciao. That's a kind of dog. <laughs>